0: Somebody gave me a poem, I don't know if it's the whole poem or just one part, from Pablo Neruda. If each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen life, fallen light with patience. Maybe it feels that way a little bit with this invitation to recognize intuitive awareness. simple and subtle and frustrating in the sense of your you know, usual efforts to do something to practice is uh, almost always in the opposite direction. so I'm gonna <coughs> excuse me talk about it a little bit more tonight. So again, intuitive awareness, this phrase, is how Ajahn Sumedho translates an uh, important word from the Pali canon, the Buddha's teachings, usually it's translated as clear comprehension. Sati-sam-pajana is the Pali word. So sati, you might remember, is the word usually translated as mindfulness, and it In terms of the phrase or the word sati, sampajana, it has that sense of um, cognizing, recognizing in a very simple, raw way what's going on. And the other part of the word, sampajana, has both a sense of seeing the experience of the present moment, seeing it in context, so that's why it often gets translated as comprehension, clear comprehension. But even more specifically, this wisdom element is like an appreciation of the moment in its deepest sense or in its deepest nature. So the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and conditional or impersonal nature. So sati sampajana. pajana is like wisdom-mindfulness together, or uh, comprehension. Ajahn Samedo doesn't like the phrase clear comprehension because it gives a sense that the experience is clear, but sometimes, of course, the experience isn't clear. But it doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't mean that we're not intuitively understanding that it's like this. You know. So when the mind is, foggy or the mind is confused, we can still understand, oh, it's like this now. There can be that clear comprehension or that intuitive awareness. And so a moment of clear comprehension, a moment of intuitive awareness means that the mind isn't bound, it's seeing or knowing without being bound by anything. That's the that's the idea, or that's the direction of the practice at least. And this is from Ajahn Sumedho's book, *The Sound of Silence*. Some people find this approach frustrating because it's easier to be told exactly what to do, to have a more methodical approach, but many of us have done that, and even though it can be very skillful, it can also become addictive. We never get to the root of the cause, which is, quote, I am this person that needs something in order to become enlightened, unquote. This intuitive approach does not exclude methodical meditations. It is not that I am against the methods of meditation in our tradition of Theravada Buddhism, not at all. I am trying to put them into perspective. If you go to different meditation retreats, courses, or whatever, intuitive awareness will help you to do the method in a much more skillful way than if you just start from faith in a method and never question or see beyond the ignorant perceptions of yourself. This encourages you to really question, to look into these perceptions you have of yourself, whatever they might be. If you think you're the best, the greatest, God's gift to the world, or you think you're the absolute bottom of the stack, or if you don't know who you are and what you want, or if sometimes you think you're superior but sometimes you feel you're inferior, All these things change. And a little later he goes down, he goes on to say, Awareness is right now. It's not a matter of thinking about it, but being aware of thinking about it. How do you do that? My insight came when I was a novice monk. How do you stop thinking? Just stop thinking. Well, how do you stop? Just stop. Well, how do you just stop? The mind would always come back with, how can, you ju- how can you do it, wanting to figure it out, rather than trusting in the imminence of it. Trusting is relaxing into it. It's just attentiveness, which is an act of faith, a trustingness. It gives you perspective on anything you want to do, including other styles of meditation. Even as I'm talking tonight, of course, when we hear a talk or we read something, it triggers a lot of thinking. And it's not like we're not supposed to be thinking. But again, it's it's this ongoing reflection on the knowing. And what this does is it illuminates the self-centered activity. It's the peace and the simplicity of knowing, the stillness of the mind, the space of the mind, that makes the self-centered thinking so obvious. It stands out as something extra, something that is worthy of being abandoned. Without that perspective, we just continue on and on and on. So in this way, the cultivation of this perspective, or the you know the learning, the remembering in this, the learning and the remembering and the trusting in this trustiness—is that what he said? Trustiness. It really establishes. You know, it's like taking refuge in wisdom, and it gives the mind an immunity. Some of you probably read the quote that I have out on the bulletin board I'm above the few paragraphs that I wrote. So it says, just as, this is from the Buddha, just as space is not established anywhere, so too develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade the mind. It doesn't mean we won't have agreeable or disagreeable thoughts. It means they won't invade the mind. The mind won't, in a sense, pick them up, get established in those agreeable or disagreeable thoughts. This is the, again, I mentioned this before, this is the great paradox of this way of relating, because it is very inclusive remember it's really important to remember it's not about being afraid of thoughts or seeing thoughts as the enemy of intuitive awareness it's taking refuge in this intuitive awareness that isn't afraid of thoughts the intuitive awareness itself has its own stability its own integrity And so the mind doesn't need to go chasing after the objects, whether they're thoughts or emotions or other aspects of experience. So we can... It's useful to be creative and experiment a little bit. If we just take the time now to feel the body sitting, and just to get a sense of you know, the two basic approaches, we could feel the body, and we could relate to the experience of sitting now, the sensations of sitting. We could relate in an analytical way in a critical way, not critical in a negative sense, but it's like evaluating the experience of sitting, Uh, you know, the tailbone hurts, or there's a nice sense of settledness, this is probably one of my best retreats ever. we really wanted to understand this sitting experience now from an analytical point of view, then all of a sudden, it gets complicated. Like, how does it compare to how my other sits have been? Or is this what I really want from my sit? Or can I imagine a better sit? And how does it compare to other people? Why is it this way? Will it change? So one of the characteristics of our normal analytical approach, conceptual approach to any experience, is it gets complicated. I mean, as soon as we, here on retreat, as soon as we think about about ourselves as a meditator, somebody on this path of awakening, it gets really complicated. Am I doing the right thing on this path? Have I been lazy? Why haven't I gotten further? I've been so diligent. How come there aren't any good teachers anymore? So we can have so many different thoughts about being a meditator or being somebody on a spiritual path. And then we could instead, you know, we could practice relating to this moment, relating to sitting here now from this intuitive awareness point of view, mindfulness point of view, this is how it is now. And that understanding, it doesn't beg any questions, it doesn't need anything more than, well, this is how it is now. That moment of being open and aware is complete in itself. That's that sense of wholeness that we find pleasant, that simplicity or wholeness. It's complete. Any moment of intuitive awareness, any moment of clear comprehension, because by definition the comprehension part, it includes the breadth or the depth of how it is. So it's that breadth or depth that gives the moment its completion. It's not in terms of anything else. This is a quote from Sri Nisargadatta, a well-known Indian sage. Somebody asked him once if he ever got impatient and he replied, I see hear and taste as you do, feel hunger and thirst. If lunch is not served on time, even impatience will arise. All this I perceive quite clearly, but somehow I'm not in it. There is awareness of it all and a sense of immense distance. No, I'm not sure how this word distance was translated, but I think we get the sense there is an awareness of it all and a sense of immense distance, like a freedom from it. Awareness of the personality is different than being the personality. And it really goes right to the heart of what we mean by Dhamma, the way it is. This again is from Ajahn Sumedho's book, *The Sound of Silence*. Then I began to really understand Dhamma better, and began to recognize that it is not a matter of willpower and attainment, but of right view and mindfulness. The word mindfulness used to mystify me. What is mindfulness really? And then it became apparent: this awareness here and now, right? This intuitive awareness. So he goes on to say. He, he repeats a phrase that the monks nuns chant regularly uh, about Dhamma. Sanditiko, akaliko, ehi pasiko, upanaiko, paccatang, wahita bo, winhuhi. When we chant this reflection on Dhamma, sanditiko means apparent here and now, akaliko means timeless, ehi pasiko, encouraging investigation. Encouraging investigation doesn't quite get the spirit of pasiko. It's come and see right now. Wake up right now. Ehi is the Pali word for come and see. Encouraging investigation doesn't have a sense of urgency to investigate the Dhamma for yourself. Come and see right now is a bit more immediate. Imagine if we had that attitude you know, throughout the retreat and throughout our lives. A profound respect for the present moment. You know, come and see right now. The moment, right now, right here is relevant. And and you know, the flip side of that is our thoughts about whatever we're thinking about whatever we're caught in it's not so relevant and maybe even harmful that addiction to thinking or that need that attachment to thought this is Rajat uh, Tomato that same chapter the chapter is called trust your intuition A meditation retreat is largely about patient endurance, learning to develop patience with yourself, with the way your mind is, the way your body is. Many of you think that you can't meditate because you feel frustrated, or you look around and you think everybody else is in deep concentration, and only you have a wandering monkey mind. And then you start thinking, they can do it, but I can't. This is self-view we have we have the idea that we should be able to do this or fear that we can't do it because we are not advanced enough or whatever we believe that we have too many problems or are too restless so i have always found the reflection on just the way i am physically mentally is a path for me the habits the karma or karma the personality the physical condition whether you are a positive or a negative person or bright or a dull one, happy or sad, or however you see yourself, all of this is not to be attached to. We learn from the way we are, from the way we happen to be. We may not we may not be the way we would like. There are many things about my personality that I can be very critical of. I don't like myself that much, or approve of myself on a personal level. I now see that as part of the path, not an obstruction. So, I'll just stop there. That's like a a very practical instruction for us. So, when we do have negative thoughts about our practice, about ourselves, instead of thinking, I can't practice until... This is gone until I have a different point of view about myself, different attitude. You can just see, oh, this is something to include. He goes on and says, So no matter what so no matter what way you are right now, no matter how critical you might be or how inadequate you feel, change the attitude to to one of learning from the way you are right now. Rather than trying to become something rather than trying to get rid of negativity, restlessness, or confusion, because you think that these are flaws or defects that block you from enlightenment. Just don't believe any of that. Your conditioned mind will say anything. It is totally untrustworthy. That which we can really trust is the awareness. So this is what he means by taking it as a practice. No matter what's The mind is projecting or whatever thoughts are arising the practice is to realize the awareness the intuitive awareness can include it doesn't need to be afraid of it this is truly an amazing thing it's actually every time it happens we could call it an insight every time the mind is stuck caught up in thinking in emotion in the current situation and then followed by the next moment of intuitive awareness. Oh, it's just this being known. That is an insight. It's a moment of freedom. And what we wanna we wanna highlight those moments of freedom. We want to recognize the actual release that comes when we realise, oh, that's just a thought. That's just a projection. Having the thought, I'm a lousy meditator. Having the thought, I'll never get anywhere in this practice unless I start to behave. Just to realize that, and to realize that the sense of good, you know, being a good person, has nothing to do with what we're thinking. It's like, (laughs) think about all the thoughts we've had about ourselves or other people. I mean... Just take a close friend of yours. You know, we've had all kinds of thoughts about that close friend, or partner. You know, from them being great to despicable, and who would ever want to be around them. And the same is true with our thoughts about ourselves. I mean, it's it's so obvious from a distance. It's so obvious that our thoughts aren't what it's about. They're all over the place. There's one more paragraph I want to read here. He says, So in awareness, we can be aware of self-view as an object. We don't put it in the subjective position anymore. Even when you are feeling utter despair about yourself, I can't do it. Listen to that. Make it more so you are listening to what your personality is saying, but no longer believing in what it is saying, recognizing that this is a condition, this is a creation, I can't do it, I can't meditate, I've got too many obstructions, too many emotional problems. You are creating those assumptions or attitudes, you are producing them in the present. But if you have awareness of that, if you listen to yourself thinking, then you can get some perspective. A thought is an object in consciousness, not the subject. A thought is an object in consciousness, not the subject. The fetter of sakya ditti personality view, is being aware of the thought, I can't do it, I'm not a good meditator. Don't believe it. Be aware of it. Anything you think is conditioned. It is not what you really are. Even question the view, I'm in an unenlightened person that needs to practice in order to become enlightened in the future. Let's just imagine for a moment what that would be like if we didn't have the compulsion to believe all our thoughts. Remember, many of you have heard this too, Joseph Goldstein you know, used to say, in terms of our thoughts, as if somebody had left a radio on. And the thoughts are there, we're hearing them, but we're not believing them. I think in some ways there's a real advantage to having a particularly active mind. You know, sometimes people say, yeah, but my thinking mind is worse than anybody else's, or, you know, I've got one of those really bad thinking minds. As if somehow we would really know, you know, that I have more thinking than somebody else. But it feels that way. But if that is the case, it actually might be an advantage. Because the more we notice that endless spewing of mentality of thought opinion reaction judgment hope fantasy the more it begins it begins to be unavoidable the insight is unavoidable that that content the content of those thoughts is empty of self it's not me It's one of the nice things about being on retreat, although it's not necessarily pleasant. In the relative quiet and simplicity of the retreat structure, especially in the initial days when we're making, just energetically shifting from a more active neurotic life to hopefully a less active neurotic life, we just notice the mind not quieting down, just filling space up with talking. And because we can't talk out loud, we talk to ourselves. But where, you know, why do we believe that? And I think we believe it because we don't understand another way of relating. That's why this pointing out of uh, intuitive awareness or being the knowing, resting in knowing, it's an insight. We have to actually learn how to inhabit, how to rest there. Otherwise, in a sense, we are the thoughts that are being thought. It's the only other sort of way the mind knows how to be with thoughts until it realizes this other way. And even when we have some wisdom that says, you know, this is not believable. You know, then what we do is we start having thoughts about why that's not believable. We create another set of thoughts to believe in. Joseph Goldstein has somewhere in, in his book Insight Meditation. He just he's talking about intuitive awareness too, in a slightly different way. He says the insights of Insight Meditation are intuitive, not conceptual. Intuitive in this sense does not mean some kind of vague feeling about something. Rather, it means clearly, directly seeing and experience how things really are. For example, if you're sitting in meditation watching the breath, all of a sudden your mind settles into a different space. Even, it is, even if it is just for a couple moments, you feel a deeper kind of calm and peace. Instead of struggling to be with the breath, you begin just to rest with the breath in a very calm effortless way now that kind of experience is an insight just to directly experience calm and if you start if we start to think about it then then we're back to the normal mode that was great i want more of it But the direct experience of calm didn't depend on any thoughts. The experience and, in a sense, the benefit, the uh, transformation that arises out of the experience doesn't depend on being smart and being able to articulate what the insight was about. Some people feel like if if they can't tell somebody about their insight in some cogent way, that it must not have been transforming. I remember a similar experience to what Joseph is saying here. Back in probably like 1984, I was living with a good friend of mine from college. And uh, he had gone away for a few years after college um, to study in Europe. And I had done a few things. And we both ended up in Berkeley and got a house together. And we both had discovered meditation independently on her own. He, when he was in Europe, and me here in the States, and uh, both had become very enthusiastic. And then we ended up back in the same town, and it was really great because we moved in together. We started to sit every morning, and every evening before dinner we'd sit again, and then we'd have dinner together. It was a really beautiful little spiritual community for about five years of my life. But I remember one time... Uh, just sitting in his bedroom, doing our meditation practice for about a half an hour before the meal, and just my mind really settled down in a way that I'd never experienced before. And you know I had a lot of ideas about calm and what it was and what it wasn't. and had of course had read a lot of Buddhist books about meditation, but the actual experience of calm, you know, that it's, it's like a different universe than all my very sophisticated thoughts about calm or about concentration. And uh, this, the directness, you know, the directness of intuitive awareness and in what it provides, it's really a different universe. No matter how good our thoughts are, no matter how sophisticated a thinker we are about things, it's not the same as the experience, the intuitive awareness. So, Joseph goes on. This is an insight through direct experience into the nature of calm and tranquility. You do not think about them or reflect on them. You know that daffodils are yellow because you have seen them. You know the nature of calm and tranquility because you have felt them in your heart. There are many such experiences and many levels of each one, and each time we know them directly, it is as if we've opened to a new way of seeing, of being. This is insight." And, of course, the the trouble with insight is that it's, more than anything, of course, um, it's very seductive. We love to think about our Dharma insights and talk about them. But really, the only appropriate or only really useful thing is just to understand the causes and conditions that have supported the arising of insight. I think you know it's it's not that um, we aren't interested in our heart mind being transformed. It's just that we get involved in our spiritual practice from this neurotic place, and so we bring our neurotic habits. So we want insight, and it gets in the way. And so what uh, Ajahn Sumedho is suggesting here with this term intuitive awareness is really making a big emphasis on relaxation and trust and the, and then seeing directly how that trust that trust in awareness that trust in the simple knowing To see how something transforming comes out of that spontaneously, not because we've figured something out, but because the way it is is revealed when the mind, when the doer gets out of the way to some degree. It can't help but be seen. To uh, sort of have a little radar for that aggressive, needy part of our meditation practice or our identity as a yogi or as a practitioner or a Buddhist, and uh, just to have just to be able to pick it up in all the different ways the attachment to being wise or the attachment to being calm or the attachment to perspective and to pick it up with this intuitive awareness oh it's like this it's like this now otherwise of course we can you know we can create something really stinky in our attempt to be free we end up making something really stinky and we get embarrassed too to start over <clears throat> once we've kind of made a big deal out of our practice for ourselves or maybe beyond to our friends. It just gets harder and harder to begin again. And this, you know, intuitive awareness—just understanding—it's like this now. It's there's nothing fancy about that. It's very, very simple, and which, of course, makes it hard to trust. You know, we're always, like I said, a little bit hungry for insight, and the more people talk about insight or the more we read about insight, the more hungry we get, because we're so used to... um, kind of meritocracy where you know we we get ahead and we compare ourselves and then and then we get involved in this path on this path with these practices and we get really frustrated because it's not so easy to build ourselves up with it. It's really frustrating. I mean we can a little bit by being able to sit longer for other people or to sit more still. I mean, we have these funny ways, of course, to uh, feel good about ourselves as meditators. Always, um, yeah, just like uh, Boy Scout or Cub Scout badges, you know, (laughs) for our insights. I remember after one particularly... um, Powerful moment of just practice, and uh, just really seeing <laughs> the absence of self. You know, there's no center to experience, and it was just, you know, kind of blew my mind away, and you know, sort of a big release. And then uh, the thought arose: God, I got to tell Win about this. Some of you know, but uh, Win is my wife, and. Uh, but fortunately <clears throat> there's <was> still <laughs> practice was still the sort of intuitive awareness had some momentum so i realized oh that's just a thought it's just a thought i mean that was in the next moment not in the first moment it really arose and then the next moment was that nice popping like the person who thought he should tell wen about this disappeared again fell apart again Oh, it's just a thought, and taking refuge in the knowing. That's just a thought, being known. Bhante Gunaratana, in his book, Mindfulness in Plain English, has a nice phrase, a couple of sentences, pointing to this ongoing process of the practice to keep, you know, no matter how we might react, to keep turning it back into practice. He says, Vipassana meditation is inherently experiential. It's not theoretical. In the practice of meditation, you become sensitive to the actual experience of living, to how things feel. You do not sit around developing subtle and aesthetic thoughts about living. You live. Vipassana meditation more than anything else, is learning to live. And you see why intuitive awareness is difficult. It's it's giving up that control. You know, instead of negotiating our way through life, we're learning to trust an awareness of how the life, how the personality, how things are unfolding. So we're taking the position of knowing and not the doing or the doer. And so it's a real grieving. You know, letting go of the doer is a real grieving. It's what we've come to trust. There was a period of time... um, for a number of years, in the late 80s and early 90s, when I, I, I just experimented with making choices by flipping coins. And uh, first I, I would really, I did this with some integrity, meaning I just, I wasn't flipping about it, I would really get to the place, okay, I really don't know what to do, and I'm really okay with either way. And And not only do I not know what's the right thing to do, I I had the strong sense, which I still think is correct, that there's no way to actually figure out what the right thing is, which is often the case for us. I'm not saying it's always the case for us, but often we don't know whether we should wear the red shirt or the white shirt or, you know, do this or do that. And there's something um, provocative about living your life based on the flip of a coin. I, I think I even did this when Wynn and I were first getting together about whether I should ask her to leave with me. I think I did flip the coin back then. Wynne I, I might remember the story better. I, I buried it. But I was really into it for a while. And, and I, there was something liberating about knowing that I didn't know and, and, and in some way calling nature's bluff that uh, the mind's bluff that this is serious, this is my life. you know you don't mess around with life. Just to have a like like I've been talking about the last couple of days, where is the allegiance? Is it in the story? that the mind has about the life that's being lived or is it in the awareness? Now I'm not saying that flipping a coin is somehow some ultimate path towards liberation but it can be useful to expose the attachment to wanting to be in control, to wanting to have an answer from the point of view of the story we have about our life. Should I do this or should I do that? What's right? Where's, where is happiness? Because with intuitive awareness, we're not expecting happiness in the choice. Happiness is already here. It's not about getting happiness. It's about, in a sense, expressing happiness. Our life is more about expressing happiness than about getting happiness. At a more recent retreat with Ajahn Sumedho, I, I know I mentioned this to some of you. Ajahn Sumedho spent—he gave a talk almost every night for nine nights, and and then actually twice a day he gave a little talk in the morning, and then a talk in the evening. And uh, but many, many times during each of the talks, he would say something like, uh, "You know, I'm an—I'm—I need to pro- I'm an unenlightened human being." who needs to practice in order to become enlightened in the future. And then he'd laugh and laugh and laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And that's such a reasonable thought. But it's reasonable in the sense that it's seductive. It seems so appropriate for us to get established in the idea of that thought, and the content of that thought. I'm an unenlightened human being, a sincere, unenlightened human being, It really wants to be enlightened, really wants to be free. See, that's not practice. That's attachment. And this is the thing about, you know, this path of practice. It's really uncompromising. And there's a... We have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we're merely sort of tripping playing with the ideas of being a Buddhist practitioner. It's just a a nice story to hang out in and to play with and to bump up against the world with. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it may be better than a lot of other stories to be bumping up the world with. But if we're really a practitioner, then the practice tells us that's just a thought. We're not a Buddhist practitioner seeking enlightenment. That's just a thought. Just a thought. And then it's gone. So we're not trying to get established. We're not trying to control things in any way. One of the uh, most powerful articulations of this is from uh, Dogen, this great Buddhist practitioner, founder of the Soto Zen tradition in Japan, went to China, studied with the Chan masters back 13th, 12th century, something like that, and then came back, went back to Japan and established the Soto Zen tradition. And this is uh give instructions for meditation. I'm just gonna I'll read most of it, but I won't read the whole passage. The truth is perfect and complete in itself. It is not something newly discovered, it has always existed. Truth is not far away, it is ever present. It is not something to be attained since not one of your steps leads away from it. Do not follow the ideas of others, but learn to listen to the voice within yourself. Your body and mind will become clear, and you will realize the unity of all things. The slightest movement of your dualistic thought will prevent you from entering the palace of meditation and wisdom, and then skipping a little, your search among books, word upon word. May lead, to the de- may lead you to the depth of knowledge, but it is not the way to receive the reflection of your true self. To actualize the blessedness of meditation, you should practice with pure intention and firm determination. Your meditation room should be clean and quiet. Do not dwell in thoughts of good and bad. Just relax and forget that you are meditating. Do not desire realization since that thought keep you confused. Sit on a cushion in a manner as comfortable as possible, wearing loose clothing. Hold your body straight without leaning to the left or the right, forward or backward. Your ears should be in line with your shoulders and your nose in a straight line with your navel. Before you begin meditation, take several slow, deep breaths. Hold your body erect, allowing your breathing to become normal again. Many thoughts will crowd into the mind, ignore them, letting them go. If they persist, be aware of them with the awareness which does not think. In other words, think non-thinking. If they persist, be aware of them with the awareness that does not think. Which can only mean wisdom, right? What is the awareness that doesn't think? It's the wisdom that's not confused by mental content, not confused by emotion. It's the wisdom that understands it's just an object being known, just something being known. Zen meditation is not physical culture, nor is it a method to gain something material. It is peacefulness and blessedness itself, it is the actualization of truth and wisdom. In your meditation, you yourself are the mirror reflecting the solution of your problems. Isn't that nice? In your meditation, you yourself are the mirror reflecting the solution of your problems. The human mind has absolute freedom within its true nature. You attain your freedom intuitively. Do not work for freedom. Rather, allow the practice itself to be liberation. And a little bit more to the end. There are thousands upon thousands of students who have practiced meditation and obtained its fruits. Do not doubt its possibilities because of the simplicity of the method. If you cannot find the truth right where you are, where else do you expect to find it? Life is short, and no one knows what the next moment will bring. Open your mind while you have the opportunity, thereby gaining the treasures of wisdom, which in turn you can share abundantly with others, bringing them happiness. That's the Zazenji by Dogen, or some interpretation of it. So we can be the discoverers of our life of truth. Letting the truth be revealed. Resting. Letting the doer cease in wisdom and letting truth arise. The truth of peace. The ease of (coughs) non-becoming let's just sit together for a moment